0: And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Hey, before I get in the sermon, sometimes we do a family moment. I'm going to do that now. Uh, we have a retreat, our second annual silent retreat at the Monastery of the Holy Spirit. That's coming up in February uh, 15th and 16th, so a 24-hour silent retreat. And some of you were there last year. It was awesome. And so let me go ahead and encourage you, if you want to go in that, we've already had people sign up for that because we put it in the weekly and there are only eight spots. So it's the only time I'm allow you to email during my sermon. OK, if it's for a good cause, you know, so if you want to be part of it, you can go ahead and, and email me about that saying, hey, reserve my spot. Uh, so it's a very important that we have that information as soon as possible. So, again, if you want to go, it's just $100. It's a steal of a deal, honestly. It covers your, all your meals and accommodations. And also, lastly, about that, if there's anyone in here who say, man, I would love to go, I just don't have an extra $100 bill laying around, no worries. Uh, we have scholarships. We don't want that to preclude you from going. We want you there. And so, regardless, money or not, uh, please come be part of that. So again, you can see the information there. Please let me know that you want to be part of that as soon as possible. Now, in light of the passage that we just read, I want to read to you a paragraph from an email that I received, okay? Now, this is one of those emails, sometimes they're referred to as Nigerian scam letters. You have you heard that term before? Probably, you certainly have received them. Technology-wise, most of those letters now go to your spam box, but sometimes they slip through, Right? And uh, this is one. And so now think about the text that we just read. Now listen to this paragraph. This is how it opens, this, this amazing letter to me. It says this. Greetings from Mrs. Angelina. I'm sure this mail would be coming to you as a surprise, since we have never met before. And you would also be asking why I've decided to choose you among the numerous internet users in the world. Precisely, I cannot say why I have chosen you. But do not be worried, for I come in peace. And something very positive is about to happen to your life right now. And to the lives of others through you. If only you can carefully read and digest the message below. (laughs) I didn't make that up. I mean, isn't it amazing how similar that sounds, right? Now, of course, it goes on to tell me that her her husband sadly passed away. Millions of dollars just laying around for me. Little old me, right? (laughs) This sort of thing like that. Now, Truth be told, I did respond to this, as I do most of the scam letters that I receive. Mike does it too, by the way. We, we love to do this, see how far we can get them going, don't we, Mike? We have a lot of fun. I told, I told uh, Kirsten when I said in this one, she said, don't go into that in your sermon, so I'm not going to do that right now. <laughs> Suffice to say, I had a good time being sarcastic. I'll leave it at that. But, you know, I mean, these, these scam letters are just that they're scams, and, and they're full of promises, aren't they? Promises that we know. Won't come true. But promises all the same. And if you think about it, I think a lot of what Christmas is about culturally is a scam letter. Because we are offered these promises that simply cannot come true. If I just spend more money, if I just spend more money, I'm going to have joy in my heart this year. I'll I'll bring this into black financially as a a community, but man, I'll have more joy in my heart. Or if I just... just, um, if I show up to more Christmas parties, I will have friends. I will feel whole inside. Uh, if I if I sing just a little bit louder the Christmas carols and the songs of Christmas, I'm going to experience greater joy and a sense of peace in my heart. These are the scams, if it's a word, the promises that you cannot be delivered on. And yet, the reason why they work is because they're an aberration of a true thing. And that is that Christmas time is the promise that came true. The one promise, the true promise, that's come true. And if you think about it, Advent is the celebration of that. It's, it's the reenactment every year. You know, we do a feast dinner. Uh, some of you probably are in DNA groups, and you've either had your feast dinner or not, props. But we had ours this past week, and Trevor's in our group. And, and Trevor came back from Connecticut just about a week ago, and he was telling our group, he said, yeah, every year, uh, you know, every year I, I go through the whole Lord of the Rings, on Audible, kind of thing like that, in my car. And uh, he kept me comfortable and, and, uh, you know, with company from Connecticut to Atlanta. And you know, he was telling us about why he does it. And it's not because Trevor has amnesia, as far as I know. Like, as far as I, it's not because of amnesia and he can't remember how the story ends. It's because he knows precisely how it ends, and that's why he wants to hear it all over again. That's Advent. Advent is knowing this is how the story is. This is how the promise comes true. And as a result, we want it more. We want to reenact the story again, literally. Next Christmas, or this week, uh, we're going to reenact uh, the live nativity. You know, we're going to go through that again. Why do we do that? Why? Because it's a true story. It brings joy to our hearts. And this morning, we are continuing in our series here called The Family of Jesus. Last week, we looked at Joseph, and today, we're looking at Mary. Okay, that was unexpected. <laughs> and now makes our podcast. One of the pictures. Uh, if it was your child, know that the Lord is not saying anything to you um, about that. But someone's child has just fallen off the... the uh, there, there. Sorry about that. Uh, we will, we will we'll fix that eventually. Uh, but anyway, where was that? Oh, yeah. So, this morning, Mary. And there are two things that we're going to talk about this morning. Just two points. One is, we're going to look at what does God say to Mary and as a result, what does he say to us? And then secondly, how does Mary respond to the Lord? As you might suspect, it's going to ask the question, how do we respond to the Lord here at Christmas time? So, you in with me? We're going to jump right in with the first thing here. and We're going to look at what God says through this angel Gabriel. Look at verses 26 through 28. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. This is not Mrs. Angelina, by the way. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. The word here that I want you to kind of focus on is the word favor. Now it comes up a couple times. Gabriel comes back to this word again here. But there's two things that I think God says through the angel to Mary that he also says to us. Here's the first one. Grace. So another way to describe this, uh, you have favor with the Lord. The Lord is with you. The word grace. Now, there are two things I want to say about grace for us. They're true for Mary, also true for us. Number one, grace comes to the unexpected. Grace comes to those who are not expecting it, nor who deserve it. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Luke goes out of his way to say, Nazareth, which is in Galilee. So his readers had no idea where Nazareth was because it had one flashing stoplight. That's it. There's nothing else in that town. There's no supermarket. There's nothing else going on. This is backwoods, podunk, whatever you want to say about that. That's what Nazareth is. Now, the expectation of greatness in the ancient world, as it is the case today, I would suggest to you, the expectation of where greatness comes from and who receives the best is not in the backwoods of Nazareth. But if anything, is, this is a Jewish story after all. It'd be in Jerusalem. It'd be at the temple. It'd be among the kings and queens. It would be in Rome, of course. This is fascinating. There was a in the late I think the late 19th century in modern day Turkey. There was an inscription to Caesar Augustus that was found called the Priene inscription. that's because of the area it's called Priene. And so I want to read to you this inscription. Now this is remember, this is the same time that Jesus is being born. So this is a word about Caesar Augustus. Listen to what this inscription says about Augustus. Whereas the Providence which divinely ordered our lives created with zeal and munificence, which means greatness, the most perfect good for our lives. By producing Augustus and filling him with virtue for the benefaction of mankind. Blessing us and those after us with a Savior, because they were worshipped as gods back then, who put an end to war and established peace. And whereas Caesar, when he appeared, exceeded the hopes of all who had anticipated good tidings, not only surpassing the benefactors born before him, but not even leaving those to come any hope, Of surpassing him. You talk about butt kissing. Oh my gosh. And whereas the birthday of the God marks for the world the beginning of the good tidings through his coming. Caesar Augustus is your Messiah. That's the good news. Who does the good news actually go to? Well, you know this if you know the story of the Roman Empire, it goes to those with power and privilege. Who does grace come to? Who does it come to? It comes to people who are not expecting it and who don't deserve it. And it's not just the story of Mary, a 15 year old, roughly, who was not expecting to be visited by, who knows, maybe a 10 foot angel in her bedroom. Who knows, right? Try to picture that for a man like that. But no wonder he leads with, hey, Grace unto you. I mean, this would have caused a lot of fear. It's why, by the way, when I, as senior pastor, I email you, I'll typically tell you in advance why I want to get together with you. Hey, I just want to hang out, sort of thing like that. I don't want to put the fear in you. So this is why I think Gabriel leaves with, Hey, you got favor, it's all gonna be good, it's all good here, like that. But he says, Man, you have God's favor. Not not Caesar in Rome, not King Herod, not the high priest in the temple you. Grace comes to the unexpected. Part of the heartbeat of our faith that's so unique and distinctive among the faiths of the world. It's grace. There's nothing here for you to do. Nothing that will, that will bend the ear of the God or the gods. There's nothing here that can, that can merit and bring you before Him and say, man, that's my boy. That's my girl. Nothing like that. It's just sheer favor. Sheer favor. And we're going to talk more about that, what that means here in a second, what I think he's also declaring in that. But I want you to hold on that the, that the true Caesar, the true emperor, has come to Nazareth. and comes with grace and mercy. And it leads to the second thing here about the nature of grace. And it's this. It absolutely undoes us. It undid Mary, and it undoes us. Listen to verses 29-30. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. There's the second giving of the favor. She was troubled. Boy, I'll say. Again, massive angel, unexpected. Remember what I said last week that Joseph was not expecting A story like this. It wasn't like, oh yeah, of course. I knew it was going to happen. Just didn't know it was going to happen to me. Same thing with Mary. Mary was not waiting for uh, a proclamation about a virgin birth somewhere. You know, much less her. You know, this was not something you were expecting here. So no wonder she's troubled. Now, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to make my point here. But I think you'll know why. In addition to receiving this announcement, of course, what happens for the next nine months? She's literally carrying a burden. You ever think about that? You know, I said last week we, we tend to look at Joseph as a two-dimensional wooden character in front of your fireplace. Same thing with Mary. Except for this this time, Mary's got a halo at least, right? She's got the halo and, you know, oh, you know, sort of thing like that. You know, but let's, let's get down into her soul for a few minutes. What would it be like to be 15 years old? And you have this, this angel appear to you with this proclamation about what's going to happen here and then disappears and you're left with a burden. You hear me on that? You're left with a burden. Make no mistake about it, friends. We tend to clean her up. But she is left with a burden. And guess what? So are you. That's where I'm going with this. One of the things that is so common today in the Western world in particular, but certainly among us, is anxiety. Now, we've talked about anxiety before, but it bears repeating now with Mary. When it says that Mary was greatly troubled, and then an angel leaves, and leaves her with a, with an unexpected pregnancy, in a shame culture where they can beat you to death for adultery if that's what they think. And by the way, just so you know, we know this from elsewhere in the Gospels, that this was a stain upon her reputation for her whole life. Jesus, it was hinted at, was a bastard. That happens later in the Gospel accounts. So this is Mary's story now. And I, wanted, I want you to connect with it this morning through, through the word anxiety. What is anxiety? Anxiety is fear, but it's often coupled with a burden. Anxiety is, is this fear, the sense that there's something that I can't control that's in my life. And I know, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here, but I know that that's the story of most of us in here. That there's something in our lives. We, it's either been in the past or it's current. And I guarantee you, it will be in your future as well. Something that you cannot control. Something that has happened to you that leaves you feeling fear about the future. That leaves you wondering, how does the story end? And don't you know, despite the evidence of a growing womb, despite the fact that an angel has visited her, this is Mary's story. And I think it's ours as well. I think we'd so quickly move past her and we clean her up without seeing, this is how she connects to us, you see. And, And that's the thing about grace. We like to say that that grace is this thing that that happens to us. We're like, thank you, God. And that's true. But There's another side to grace. Grace, as it's given to us here in this passage, is the giving of a plan, of a story. And let's be honest, sometimes we're not fans of God's plan. Am I right or am I right? There there are times in our life where, where He says to us, if you follow my plan... I'm going to change your life. And it's going to make you more of who you were intended to be. More of who you were designed to be. But we read that. We look at that and we see it differently. We have a different interpretation. And all we see is anxiety. All we see is pain. All we see is suffering. And we cannot see what God can see. Now I'm going to talk about response to that here in a second. We're going to see Mary's response. And we're going to look at ours. But I want you to hold that with me. That that the grace of God doesn't mean halos, an immediate shalom, peace. Sometimes grace can be risky. Sometimes grace can bring discomfort to us. Because when God comes into your life with a plan, it is His grace by definition. Because of the second thing that He says verses 31-33. through He says this, I love you. Listen to it. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, Pastor Scott, why in the world do you say this is God saying, not only favor grace, but I love you. And the answer is this there's no other faith that talks about incarnation. Now, if you've done even a, even a superficial comparative study of religion, you will see certain patterns develop among the religions of the world, among the faiths and belief systems of the world. And there are a number of things that, that Christianity does have in common. Not going to lie with other religions and belief systems, but there are some amazing distinctives that make Christianity unique, and this is one of them. All other religions have gods or gods. Sometimes it's an impersonal force, but even when it's personal, that God keeps their distance from humanity. You know why? Various reasons, but some of which have to do with purity and perfection, anger, fear. The gods or the God keeps their distance from humanity. And at Christmas time, what is our story that's distinctive? God says, I will not keep my distance from you. I will pursue you even when you give me the Heisman stance. I will come after you and I will pursue you with my love. John chapter 1 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word dwelt among us. Verse 14. The word dwelt among us, temple tabernacled among us. You see at Christmas time is in part a celebration of the incarnated God. Not just a celebration that there is a God, but that God incarnated and he said, I love you. We know this in, in the most intimate of relationships, friendship or in marriage. Isn't it true? In the most intimate, loving relationships, what do you do? You pursue. You you go after out of love. Sometimes Heisman stands, but even then, when love overwhelms your heart, you pursue. You go after. And this is what God has done. And it says here, you shall name Him Jesus. Rescuer. One who brings us salvation. How do we know that God loves us? Because He sent Jesus into the world. And what, verse 33, that his, his kingdom will last forever. It's not temporary. This is not a contract. This is a covenant of eternal purpose that never goes away. This is God's great I love you. And then the life of Jesus to follow this passage, friends. The life of Jesus was the evidence of the proclamation on Christmas morning. He says, if you want to know who God is, later in the Gospel of John, it says this. You need only to look at me. Look at my life. If you want to know who the Father is, look at who I am. And what do you see? A God who pursues us. A God who loves us. That is grace. The grace that is unexpected. The grace that undoes us. That changes us. that, That offers to change our character. Now, I want to go back to the anxiety here before I go to the last point here. I want to go back. I want you to name the anxiety this morning with me. What is it? What is it that you're experiencing right now? Or or maybe recently. What is it? And how does that proclamation, grace to the unexpected, you have His favor. I love you the way I love my son. And I say to you, I love you. How does that change your perspective on that which you cannot control? I just recently watched... The, uh, it's a, like a mini-series, a limited series. It's called The Pacific. There's the Band of Brothers that was about the uh, European theater of war, World War II. And then The Pacific was done by HBO after that about The Pacific. And and, and, uh, and again, limited series, so I finished it. And, and the very last episode is one where the war is over. Now, this is one character who is from Mobile, Alabama. And going into it, he's innocent. He... He's full of life. He's going to follow his brother into the war as so many young men did in the 1940s. But he comes out on the other side of several years of war in the Pacific Theater cynical, angry, numb, having killed... And this, by the way, these are true characters, historical characters that they build a story around. He comes out of that um, having killed one Japanese soldier after another, after another, after another. And so he comes home... A shell of himself, having experienced tremendous amounts of trauma. And in one of the very last scenes of the series, he is in the backyard. He doesn't know what to do with his life. He comes home, and, and he's in the backyard, and his, his father, uh, who had been the sort of guy, which is classic 1940s, who would shake hands when they go off to war, never hugs, nothing like that, but he's doing that. He comes home, gives him another shake of the hand when he comes home. And he can see that his son is a shell of himself, and he says, let's go dove hunting. And so they, they grab their shotguns and they, and they have this massive amounts of land. It's a farm outside of Mobile. And they go onto the land and they're walking in through this glade of trees. And the, son, uh, the father is ahead of the son. He keeps walking. Suddenly the son stops. And he collapses into the grass. Because he hadn't held a gun since the war. And it brought back all the trauma. And he collapses. And the father, father again, is like 20 steps ahead. Turns around sees his son in great need. And the only time the whole series you will ever see a father treat his son this way, he runs back. And he crouches down. His son is is just crestfallen on the ground and and sobbing uncontrollably. And he gets down. He puts his arms around him like this. And and his son says, I can't do this. I can't do this. And the father says, It's okay. I've got you. It's going to be okay. Here's one of the most moving scenes of the whole series. I want you to hold on to that. The Father looks at you in the midst of your anxiety and He says to you, it's going to be okay. I've got this. And my Son is the living proof, the evidence, of where this story will take you. Yes, there will be the valley of the shadow of death. There will be things that you weren't asking for or praying for but I would bring through this. Now, with that in mind, I want to look at the last thing here. How does Mary respond to this. And, and of course, by extension, how do we respond? Look at verse 34. The very first thing that we see here is trust. Verse 34 Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Now, if we had looked at the earlier storyline, it would have been about Zechariah and Elizabeth. This is a story that happens right prior to this, and Elizabeth is referenced here as a cousin. Now, Zechariah is a priest in Jerusalem. And Zechariah is visited by Gabriel as well. And Gabriel says to Zechariah, Look, Zechariah, I know you're old. You're really old, by the way. He didn't say that quite like that. But he says, Look, I know you're old. And Elizabeth, she's way past her years of fertility. I know you guys wanted a child. And I'm here to tell you, you're going to have a child. You're going to name him John the Baptist. And John's going to come as a forerunner before Jesus, who is the Messiah. You're going to be part of an amazing story here. And you know what Zechariah's response is? He goes, now, Gabriel, how can this be? We can't have children, is basically what it says here. And it's almost verbatim, the same line that Mary says, instead of can, it's will for Mary. That's important here. What we see is that Mary's response isn't like, I'm a virgin. There's no way this is going to happen, which is Zechariah, basically. There's no way. We're barren here. We're way beyond those years. I know enough about how Babies coming into the world. This is not going to happen. But Mary says, no, how will this happen? She incipiently trusts that it's going to happen here. I want you to hold on that for a second here. The very first thing that we see with Mary is that she says, man, I know this is going to happen. Now, I think it's important for us as moderns because a lot of people, man, they say they believe in God, right? I don't know if this is describing anyone here, but it certainly is true if you look at the stats. But the percentage of people who believe in the virgin birth is far less than those who believe in God. And I cannot for the life of me wrap my mind around that. You say you believe in God. You say that, that some, some force or someone has pierced the veil of physical reality. There's a supreme being, right, who's not beholden to science and medicine, and yet they're not capable. You talk about putting God in a box. And T R says we do that. The reason why there's a gap between those who say they believe in God and those who actually trust in Him with things like the virgin birth, the reason why he says is because if it's true that God can do that, we owe him our everything. And Mary gets it. Do we? Just beginning with trust and I have a you know, think about what we're saying here about the anxiety, the plans. Do you trust him? I mean it's brass do you trust that in the midst of your whatever it is the hardship especially you say god you've got this is your first response what marys is here a 15 year old amazing and then listen to how Gabriel responds verses 35 through 37 and the angel answered her the holy spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing, there it is, for nothing will be impossible with God. First of all, notice the overshadowing there. This is the same. we talked about this last week, it bears repeating. Genesis 1, 1 and 2 says this. Listen, this is how the story begins of God who is not beholden to science, who can bring about by fiat, by simply a word can bring life into the world as he did for Elizabeth, as does now for Mary. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The waters there being a symbol for for chaos, which is in ancient Jewish culture, deep waters, the ocean was a symbol of chaos. And so not physical waters. This is a metaphor saying there's nothing there. It is chaos. Now, what will you do, God? And it says in our text that, that the Spirit overshadows Mary. Same idea, friends. Hovering over enveloping. I've got this. I've got you. And what I will bring about Will change you and will change the world in the process. And it gives her evidence. Look, you know about Elizabeth. She was barren. She's got a child. And so, as, as, as Elizabeth sees that child grow, and Mary says, Man, you can do this. And same thing, as that child is growing in her womb, she has evidence that God's plans, though they are strange, Though they're mysterious, and we can say, God, I don't understand why You've given me this plan in my life. I don't understand why You've given me this trajectory, this journey. I can trust that it is You doing it. And I want you just, as we close here, I want you to think, what is it that you call impossible in your life right now? In verse 37 there, nothing's impossible with God. What do you call impossible? Is it peace in the Middle East? For a lot of us, that, that that feels pretty intractable, doesn't it? Like we've seen this story before. Uh, we've seen it's just chapter thirty-six million at this point. Like we've seen this story before. Or maybe it's personal. You're single this morning. You're saying, "I don't know how I'm ever going to find Mister or Mrs. Wright. I have prayed and I have prayed and I have prayed. This seems impossible. Or or. Uh, it's, it's that it's depression. And you're saying, I don't know if I'm ever going to be free from depression. It seems like it's lurking around the corner every morning when I wake up. Or it's the anxiety that we talked about that, that connects so many of us in here. I don't know if I'll ever be free from this. Now, I can't tell you this morning a time frame on when God will deliver you. All I can tell you is that one day you will be delivered There will be no more depression, no more anxiety, no more loneliness, no more violence in the Middle East. The promise of Jesus on Christmas morning is the promise that we're still waiting to come true. Advent is not only a celebration of what happened, it is a looking forward with expectation. Come thou long expected Jesus as the carol sings. Now but not yet. We have been delivered and yet we await deliverance that's where we're at and the question is can you trust between the now and the not yet that god has you that's where we are and the last thing we see is in verse 38 look at that trusting but then she does something mike earlier was talking about dna a stands for action listen to this is the a for her in her dna group and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to Your Word. In other words, I am committing myself to this. And the angel departed from her. So let's do this. a <laughs> kind of thing like that. A lot of people look at discipleship as, as chains. I mean, I've got to change my sexuality. I've got to change how I approach finances and money. I have to all that stuff like... Like all these commands, 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 commands. And and, and often what we do is we say, uh, I'll submit if there's a conditional clause. And what Mary says, there is no conditional clause. I submit. Why? Because you are the King of kings the Lord of lords. I owe my very existence to you. You bring by fiat life into my womb. And if the one who spun the stars into the sky and who created Created life with a word, who now gives me a word that spends life into my womb that will forever change the nature of reality. How can I do anything other than say, "Lord, you've got this. I give you my everything." I think that's a, that's where the challenge. That's where I want to end today. It's just like again, what is it here at Christmas time that feels like I have not yet fully given this to you? It's my finances. I'm afraid to give up a tithe and an offering to ministry. I'm afraid I might be short somehow if I don't do that. I'm afraid of giving this relationship, uh, this guy I'm dating, this girl that I'm dating, um, I'm afraid of giving... What what will you do if I give that to you? Oh, that's where the rub meets. Yeah. But He is good, friends. His grace is favor upon you. He says, I love you. Here's the evidence. My son, who now grows... In your life. So may it be for us as a church. That we are people set on fire for God in 2024. And we follow in the footsteps of Jesus ultimately. But we we look at Mary's story. And we say come Lord Jesus unto me. Fill me with life. Life eternal. Change me. Let's pray. Father we thank you for this good word this morning. We thank you for Mary's story. We, We dare not leave her in the nativity scene. We dare not do that. We dare not leave her with two-dimensional haloed effect. We dare not do that. But we step into her story and in doing so, with courage, we see ours. We see the fear. We see the anxiety. We see the burden. We see the unanswered prayers. We see the unanswered questions. And yet, Father, we say, may it be done to me as you command. Lord, give us that trust because that's the sort of trust that brings freedom according to how we have been designed to trust that you are a good God who's for us and not against us here at Christmas time. May we lean into that promise all over again. We pray this in your name of Jesus, Amen. Amen. And now we respond to God's word through confession. And I think